Well, good morning, Living Hope Church, and we're glad that you guys are with us today. This morning is Palm Sunday, and today we're starting a two-week series that we're calling A Different Kind of Power for Palm Sunday and for Easter. So if you have your Bibles, if you would open them with me, please, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. We're going to start reading in verse 35 here in just a couple of minutes. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are again grateful for the time together that we have today. We ask your grace upon it. I ask Jesus especially for your power and peace inside of our homes, inside of our lives, inside of our jobs, that you would be seen in unique and powerful ways. We ask that your spirit would be at work in our time this morning, that God, you would do what only you can do with your word and in our lives as we do this. We pray all of these things in your magnificent name. Amen. Amen. So for the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about a different kind of power. So guys, what is it that you think about when we use the word power? Is the first thing that comes into your mind something that is military? Do you think of something political? Maybe you think of some form of physical power. Maybe your imagination goes to economic power. Depending on the things that have happened in your life, you might even think of power as abusive or manipulative or painful inside of your life. You see, this concept, this word power, it is a loaded term. And it's loaded by and large with the way that we have watched people use power, both in positive and in negative senses. By and large, our understanding of power is made up of how we have seen it used by humans and by human institutions. So when we say something like God is all-powerful, what do we mean by that? When we say that God came and lived lived among us as Jesus Christ, God in flesh, how do we understand his power? God, after all, is not just a king. He is the king of kings, and his reign will last into eternity. Scripture tells us that his kingdom will will go on forever and forever. So he's not just a king. He is the king. But he is also the one who died on a cross, suffering the punishment that we deserved and he did not, dying at the hands of sinful, corrupt people. So we're going to think about power, and we're going to think about this reality that God's kind of power is a very different kind of power, both in its use and in its consequence, its effect inside of our lives. And on Palm Sunday especially, our minds are drawn to that event when Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem and he is hailed as king. But it is also the beginning of Passion Week, which means next weekend includes his death upon a cross. So when we think of Palm Sunday, we realize this, that the king comes to his people, but his people reject him as king. They're not ready to receive him, and they're not ready to receive his kind of power. One of the thoughts that's going to help hold all of this together for us today is this. God's arrival means peace. God's arrival means peace. 
In fact, when God shows up, it is both victory and it is peace. But it arrives in a surprising way, and we need to be ready to receive it. So guys, let's begin reading in Luke chapter 19. I'm going to start in verse 35, and we're actually picking up right in the middle of a story. But let's begin reading this. Luke chapter 19, verse 35. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the mountain of olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So we pick up right in the middle of a story. Jesus and his disciples are preparing for the Passover week. And in fact, a multitude of pilgrims are on their way into the city of Jerusalem to prepare for Passover week. And before Jesus gets there, he has arranged ahead of time for this event to happen. And he sends his disciples ahead of him. And, and he says, you go into the city and you're going to find a colt, a young donkey tied up. Untie the colt and bring it to me. And if anyone asks you, why are you taking this? You just tell them, well, the Lord has need of it. And they're going to let you go ahead and bring it. So Christ has arranged this for his disciples. And he's already said, the Lord has need of this donkey. And so sure enough, they go and they find the donkey and they bring it back to Christ. And that's where we picked up reading. They bring that colt to Jesus and then they begin to put Jesus on the colt and make their way into the city of Jerusalem. Now, Jesus has been in Jerusalem before, but never like this. This time, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, and he does so for the last time. And the streets on the way into the city is lined with disciples who are announcing him as king. This has been a tension inside of the life of Christ throughout the Gospels. The disciples learning who Jesus is and at one point finally realizing that Christ is the Messiah himself. And, and Christ even asks people at certain times to hold that quiet. But at this moment, Jesus allows himself to be celebrated, rejoiced as the coming king as he's on his way into the city of Jerusalem. This is such a big deal that when you read this passage in Matthew's gospel, Matthew even recognizes this moment as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. So part of what that means is that the people have been waiting for the Messiah to show up for a very long time. And now the Messiah is here. But it's different than what many expected. We have this colt, we have this young donkey that Jesus rides on. Now this is significant because kings typically ride horses. Because horses are a symbol of military and political might and power. If you ride into battle, you, you ride on a horse and that's how you lead your armies into battle. And kings are supposed to show that kind of power. 
And in fact, if you pay attention to this inside of the text, the, the Gospels, and even into the book of Acts after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is this common assumption among the people of Jerusalem and even inside of Jesus' disciples that he's come as an earthly kind of king, only greater. He's the kind of king who should come in a horse, on a horse. He is the kind of king who should lead an army and overthrow Ro the Roman Empire. But he walks into Jerusalem. He rides into Jerusalem on a colt instead of a horse. So it's different than what most people expected. This Old Testament passage that is fulfilled by the triumphal entry, by what we just read here in Luke chapter 19, comes from the book of Zechariah. And in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it goes like this. Listen to the vocabulary here. Rejoice greatly. O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That vocabulary is incredible, that this is the foreshadowing of the coming of the king, the Messiah himself. This language is both descriptive and it's prescriptive, meaning this, it describes who the king is, his character traits, the kind of power that he has. And it's prescriptive. It tells us how we're supposed to respond to the coming of the king. So let's listen to some of this language that we just read in Zechariah 9.9. It says, rejoice greatly, shout aloud. So this is good news. In fact, this is not just good news. This is the good news. And it deserves rejoicing, and it deserves shouting, and it deserves the joy that is reserved for people who belong to the king who has finally come to settle all of accounts and to set up his reign among his people and eventually over all of creation. So it's absolutely right that the text says rejoice and shout. And that's exactly what these disciples do as Jesus rides into the city of Jerusalem. It also says the king has come. We read that in Zechariah 9.9. The one you have been not just waiting for, the one you've been praying for, the one you've been longing for, for generations, is now here. We need to be able to feel that kind of fulfillment in this moment. And again, those disciples express that as they recognize Jesus riding to Jerusalem as king. The king has finally come. Well, Zechariah 9.9 also tells us that he comes humbly. And it explicitly says he's riding on a colt. It's not just a donkey. It's, 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 it's a young donkey, one on which no one else is, has ever ridden. It's not a horse. This is not military might. This is a different kind of power. So here's one of our curveballs, that the king comes in humility the God who created all things, the God who is the only perfect human being who has ever lived here in flesh, he comes humbly riding into the city of Jerusalem. Now, when was the last time that you put together your immediate notion of what earthly power is like and the concept of perfect and absolute humility? Those concepts really don't always fit together naturally for us, but it is absolutely vital to who this king is, to how he comes to his people, how he comes into creation, how he comes into our lives now, both as king and as humble. 
Zechariah 9.9 also tells us this. He comes as righteous, and he comes with salvation. Here's part of what I find provocative about that. This humility that belongs to our King Jesus Christ. This humility is not a lack of power, and it is not a lack of effectiveness. This Jesus Christ is perfectly good, and he is perfectly powerful. He alone is the righteous one who comes. He is perfectly good. And he is the one who brings the salvation that we truly and eternally need. So he is perfectly powerful. This king is the only one who can save his people. So guys, if I accept the coming of Jesus Christ as king, I realize this, that he is perfectly able to save He's perfectly able to save me. He is perfectly able to save us. And no other king with any other kind of power can save that. And we have to put that into context with what you and I are walking through right now. We are hoping for certain kinds of earthly power and earthly human institutions to do as well as they possibly can, to be as wise and intelligent as they can possibly be, to help guide us, our nation, our state, internationally, to help guide the human race in certain senses through a very difficult time. But we learn very quickly how those forms of power run up against their limits. And there are things that show up in our world that are just more powerful than they are. And then we see Jesus we see this triumphant king riding into Jerusalem, and he is both humble and fully able to save, and the only king who is able to do that. And so there are some on the road to Jerusalem who recognize this. The text says in verse 37, and as he was drawing near, already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, as he moves from east to west into the city of Jerusalem, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. And we hear that Old Testament passage being fulfilled. They praised God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So sure enough, there is a group that recognizes what this means. They know who Jesus is. And they know the right response at this moment to hail him as king the way scripture has foretold, has foretold it. But it also turns out that this moment bothers the establishment. It's not just the disciples who recognize him as king. There are other groups of people here as well. So we hear this, this praise of Christ as king. But then we also hear this in verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So this bothers the establishment. And at this moment, what we hear is we hear the religious establishment complaining that Christ is being declared as king. And we know through the rest of the Gospels and the rest of the story, it's not just the religious establishment. It's the political establishment as well. Has not known what to do with Jesus. Has tried very hard for almost a full three years now to silence Jesus Christ. 
And you see the religious establishment, the Pharisees there, they recognize what's going on. They, they also hear the echoes of Zechariah 9.9 as the disciples praise Jesus as king. The palm branches that are being waved, the cloaks that are being put on the ground, the way that Jesus is being treated, and all of their antenna go up and they realize this man is being declared as the king himself. The Messiah is coming. And they think this is entirely inappropriate for someone whom they are sure is not the king. And so they go to Jesus and they implore with him, tell your disciples to stop doing this. You're not the king that we expect. This can't be you and this is blasphemy. They have to stop. And Jesus' answer is is absolutely incredible in this moment. This moment is so important, Jesus says, that if people stop praising me, creation will start. That's, that's stunning. If these people now are silent, the stones around us are, are going to begin to say this. They're going to begin to praise me and hail me as king. That's how stunning this moment is. There's no stopping the coming of Jesus as king, and there's no stopping the consequences of what it means for Jesus to come as king, no matter what people think. So guys, the king has come. Some recognize it, and some hail him as king, and some see it and receive it, but others reject him as king. We see through this story that Jesus comes in a way that just doesn't accord with their understanding of what their Messiah would do, what they wanted him to do for them in this moment. They really did think that he would come as a conquering king, the kind of military and political and economic leader that they hoped would take, of their, take care of their present situation. They would have recognized a king who came on a horse with an army riding behind him. They don't recognize him on a donkey with disciples. They don't. And it breaks Jesus's heart. The next part of the text goes like this. I'm going to read verses 41 through 44. So through these events, Jesus makes his way into the city, and we've got this tension between those who see him for who he is and recognize it and receive him, and those who don't, who don't understand the kind of power that comes with this Messiah. And so here's how Jesus responds in Luke chapter 19, verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And sure enough, that happens just a few decades after these events. Would that you, even you, would have known that the day has come that means your peace, but you couldn't see it. Your eyes are shut to it. This city that Jesus weeps over, the city of Jerusalem, 
is at the epicenter of God's people. It's not just the large city. It's not just the large metroplex. It is the cultural and the religious center of God's people and has been for a very long time. The very people that Jesus has come to live among, that Jesus has lived with and taught and been with all of his life, these are these people represented and now gathered inside of the city of Jerusalem. Guys, this city that Jesus now weeps over is full of people that Jesus loves, and it's full of people that Jesus is not just ready to die for, but for whom he will die at the, at the end of the next week. And it is also full of people who will bend and break every rule, and they will work frantically through the night to get Jesus executed. And Jesus weeps over this city because they don't recognize the coming of the king. If only they saw, Jesus says. If only they saw beyond what was their normal expectation of power, their normal expectation of who the Messiah would be, this triumphant leader whom they hoped would overthrow Roman rule and reestablish the throne of David. You see, the people of God, as, as we are prone to do ourselves when we think in these terms about God. What they had done is what we do. They had overlain their understanding of human power over God's kind of power. And so when God shows up, all they can see is human power. So they miss Jesus. They miss what God is doing. They miss God's kind of power when it finally shows up among them. Jesus laments, if only they saw their day of peace, what had come among them, and if they had seen it and received it, would mean their peace. I love that. And guys, this is the kind of peace that can exist in the human soul, whether the Romans rule or not. This is the kind of peace that transcends whatever set of earthly circumstances are going on around us or within us. Whatever is going on around us right now, Christ offers us a kind of peace that is deeper than that, that transcends all of that. They had hoped for a peace that even if he had overthrown the Roman Empire, there would be another one that comes later on. It's temporary. What Christ offers is eternal, and it is deeper, and it is stronger. This is what the Apostle Paul says about this kind of peace that Christ brings in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, he puts it like this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a foundation. If we can stand on Christ, if we can find our lives in him, put our trust in him, this is a foundation that goes deeper than anything this world can shake. This is the kind of tree under which, we find, <clears throat> under which we find shelter whose roots go deeper than anything this world can shake. This peace of God surpasses our understanding. And Paul says it will guard you, your heart, your mind, everything about you. It will guard you and will guard you in Christ Jesus. And Christ laments on this day, if only you saw what belonged to your peace. Part of what's so powerful about Christ's lament that we read 
is what they will see. Because they didn't have the eyes to see what Christ brings. What they will see is devastating. In an absolutely heartbreaking twist of irony, because they don't see God's power at work in Jesus, they will see Roman power at work in Jerusalem. And this is why Jesus weeps. Because he comes to provide this kind of power and peace for his people. But they just didn't see it. So guys, it comes to this. For you and me on this day, as we think of Palm Sunday, as we read this passage of scripture where Christ is hailed as king and the cross is on its way, we have to ask this question. What do you see when you see Jesus? What do you see? What do you expect? Are you ready to see him for who he is and what he truly brings, whether or not it's what you want from him? Whether or not it's what you already expect from him, are you ready to receive what only Christ can bring? Or are we in the end just looking for another form of human power, only greater than the last one? This last administration, this last form of human power, this last group of scientists, whatever it is, they did well, they didn't do well enough, and we're hoping the next crowd does better for us. Or do we see Jesus and God's kind of power that can be at work inside of our lives? Friends, it is not beyond God's power or his behavior to sometimes shake the kingdoms of this world. And he does it to show us the frailty of the kingdoms of this world. He does it sometimes to show us which kingdom cannot be shaken. Maybe this is part of what the Spirit of God is doing amongst us now. And may we have eyes to see it you know, this reminds me of a passage in the book of Proverbs. And it says essentially this, you can slap a fool in the face, but they won't open their eyes. The fool gets shaken by the world around them, but they won't open their eyes to see and understand what God is doing. May the Holy Spirit be at work, opening our eyes to what God is doing, to open our eyes to see, as Christ puts it, what belongs to our peace and the kinds of things that only Christ can bring, that only Christ can do for us. And that is my prayer for us this weekend, that we see Jesus as king and all that it means and what it means for us to put our trust in him and to begin to find the peace that only Christ can bring. So guys, I'm going to close this morning with this prayer. And it's, it's a prayer of salvation. And scripture teaches us that when we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. This is a prayer in which we express that, that, that we now trust Jesus as king, that we want our eyes to be open to who he is and what only he can do for us. And as we pray this together, guys, this isn't you just praying with me. This is, this is between you and your heavenly Father. And this is, uh, this is an open door. This is the beginning of a brand new life 
that can come only through Jesus Christ. So guys, wherever you are, I want to pray this prayer together with us this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus Christ. And friends, pray this with me. I thank you for your son Jesus Christ, for his life, death, and resurrection, that I may have life. God, forgive me of my sins and become Lord of my life today. In your name we pray. Amen. Guys, God bless you. If you prayed that prayer with us this week, please be in contact with us. We want to encourage you and bless you as much as we can as God guides you into this brand new life. Thank you for being with us today, and God bless you.